Tech is a bi-weekly podcast exploring the intersections of technology and ministry. It is part of the podcast network sponsored by Wells, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Our show today is hosted by Martin Spriggs and Sally Draper. Welcome back to Wells Tech, everybody. This is episode 704. That's 704. And we're recording this on June 22nd. That's a Thursday in the year 2023. My name is Martin Spriggs, and you are listening and maybe watching to a show about technology and ministry. And if you are watching, you see my co-host on the screen, and that is the talented Sally Draper. Hello, Sally Draper. Hello, Martin. Happy to be joining you here. We've made it all the way to mid-June. It seems like summer's kind of I flying know. by. Wow. That's what happens, huh? Yesterday, longest day of the year. Did you enjoy yeah, the, the extra time? Officially in summer, and uh, from now on, it's shorter and shorter daylight. So um, I think my sunset tonight is like at 9.03 p.m., though. So that's nice to make it past 9 o'clock. Isn't that right? Yeah. In some places of the country, it's like 10 o'clock. I know whenever I go over to Michigan, it's like, wow, this, yeah, <laughs> this is 10 o'clock light. That's uh, I like the light. I like the light. Uh, I beats do too. The, the really short days of winter. So mm-hmm. um, we are on uh, a right in the midst of our summer long series. Uh, we try and take a a little bit lighter touch on the show and uh, don't uh, kind of spend as much time as we normally do with all the the uh, the segments of the show but we do like to focus on uh, one topic and that uh, or one theme I guess you'll call it and this year's theme is kind of a review of a book called Tech like a Pirate by Matt Miller and um, that is, I've read it a couple times now, and uh, what I like about this book, Sally, is the very practical approach that he takes about uh, writing this book and the examples uh, that are given, because uh, basically he's just kind of, the, the content between the examples is important and good, but it more is just like an introduction to here's some cool stuff that you can actually use right away kind of thing. And that's, that's, uh, I think that's very useful in the hands of an educator. Yeah, I agree. It's a, a show and tell kind of concept. And, um, mm-hmm. When you have one to look at, it's very easy to model right. off of that. And he even talks about that as we get into the chapters we're covering this week, Martin. He tells you to steal things mm-hmm. um, at some point in these chapters because that's a you know a great way to learn. That's what pirates to, do. Yes. To, yeah, true. We get to talk like pirates because it's tech like a pirate. And mm-hmm. yeah, get out there and look at his examples. He gives you plenty. He actually is the man behind Ditch That Textbook. Um, and this website is just packed with amazing resources. In the book, he links to tons of pages and things that he's put together um, that kind of explain and give examples and give templates and all that kind of stuff yep. for doing a variety of magic with technology in the classroom. A couple of things as I was thinking about the show today and just kind of reading through our chapters three and four that we're going to go through in just a second here is um, 
you get the sense that it, what would be really helpful for somebody to get the most out of this book at least is at least to have some kind of comfort level with, let's say, the Google platform. He constantly refers to building some of these games and tools and, and lessons in Google Slides or using Google Forms or Google Docs, those kinds of things. And in order to, I think, get the, the true benefit out of a lot of his examples, it's helpful to have that foundational tool. So maybe that's one takeaway that this is not just a, you know, light it up and forget it. I think there is, he's always encouraging you to tweak it, change it, you know, take advantage of what the your circumstances are in a classroom. And I think the only way you do that is you have some comfort level with the technologies involved. So it's not a magic bullet. It's something that I think you have to uh, have at least some baseline uh, understanding and uh, comfort level with. So that's one thing that came to mind. Another thing that came to mind is there's a lot of ideas here, as we just mentioned, don't let them kind of just live in that book. You need a way to kind of highlight, note for yourself, maybe take notes, get these into a system where you can actually go back to them when you need them. So you don't want to have to page through this book every time you want to find an idea. As you read the book, you know, you want to kind of note, jot down, um, identify those things that you are thinking about using in some kind of note-taking tool. And, you know, things that came to mind are like Google Docs, of course, Google Sheets. Um, but uh, one thing that we used in the class that I taught at MLC this past quarter or this past semester was Airtable, uh, a kind of a spreadsheety, databasey, uh, Web 3.0 kind of tool that allows you to create uh, all kinds of good, creative ways of storing data, reporting on data, sharing data uh, in kind of a fun way. So Airtable would be something I'd recommend. Wakelet, we've talked about. OneNote, Miro, we've talked about kind of a whiteboarding tool. Just something, some way to say, here's a great idea, here's a link, here's uh, what he said about it, and then something that you can kind of use as your go-to index of ideas versus just highlights in a book. And hopefully it's really easy to search. <laughs> yeah. Search is where it's at. Once you store things, you want to be able to find Tag them. it, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like this is this is good for this grade level or this subject matter or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, Martin, circling back to the first thing you said, having um, a good understanding of some basic tools to use. Um, I just wanted to make mention, I believe his number one tool that he goes to all the time is Google Slides. Mm -hmm. And I think um, I've talked about this before. I remember Rachel um, Feld making it a pick as well. Google Slides is kind of like the Swiss Army knife. I think we've mm -hmm. even called it that in the past. And it allows you just a blank slate, kind of like any of these whiteboarding things, but you can do so much. And if you get into a lot of the templates he's sharing and things, many, many of those are in Google Slides. It's um, it's a place to draw and have text boxes and, um, you know, just marry together a whole lot of different content on a blank slate. And if you think you're kind of locked into that uh, slide um, dimensions that are kind of the the 
go-to or the default layout of a Google slide, um, you can actually customize that to whatever you want. You can change it to eight and a half by 11 if you want it to be more like a sheet of paper or whatever. So mm -hmm. you, you really have a lot of control and it's very easy to do. So if I were picking one, you know, that would be mine, Google yeah. Slides. Just the encouragement, know, know thy tools. It's um, <laughs> helpful. And not just the basics sometimes because right. you don't really know what the what your opportunities are for expansion if you don't know what it can do. True. Very true. So Should we, we take are a look talking at uh, chapter three? Two chapters. Chapter three, titled Video and Audio Killed the Chalkboard Star. And um, I think the biggest focus in this chapter is the things that you can do with video. Um, he does make mention of audio as well, mm -hmm. um, but basically... Um, all the smart devices out there have a video camera on them. Why not make some video in your classroom? Allow your kids to create videos, um, do creative things like put up a green screen behind them and, and learn about green screen technology or um, set them up as newscasters and have them do, you know, the monthly news for your school or your grade or whatever it is. Um, loaded with ideas for ways to use video and different apps that you can use to make all those kind of things happen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, as I was thinking through this chapter, um, all lots of great resources here, of course, which we'll, we'll put uh, some of those in the show notes. But uh, I think I was trying to do some you know, what if scenarios for, let's say, a, a catechism classroom. So oftentimes we're thinking of a lot of these examples as, you know, your traditional you know, Wells Elementary School classroom or middle school, whatever. But I think as pastors are are maybe listening too, I think there's application here for, for catechism classes or those kinds of things too, if you want to be creative. So maybe it's video recreations of biblical events or a game show with catechism questions and answers as content. Or he mentions uh uh, role-playing as a news anchor, maybe a news anchor sharing stories of Luther's life, 95 theses or diet of worms or, or whatever, you know, just be creative, try it. And if it fails, you know, it fails, but I think there is opportunity to, to let your kids be creative rather than that kind of the traditional, I'm going to sit down and we're going to go through the catechism and here's the, here's the questions and here's the answers and here's the Bible passages I have to memorize. Um, that's kind of what my catechism class looked like. So I think there's opportunity here to spice that up a bit. Absolutely. Martin, this uh, triggered for me a memory that I can't believe is 15 years old now. We've talked about this through the years on Wells Tech, but many, many years ago, I had a group of students put together a video and they actually decided to do a puppet show, but they filmed this video themselves. They uh, wrote the script for it and then... Um, you know, had the puppets acting out and they basically are telling the Christmas story from Luke chapter two. And uh, they painted all these background scenery and everything. So there were different kids that had different interests. Some made puppets, some, um, you know, painted backgrounds, some wrote the script, all those different roles. And then someone was the, um, the narrator of the story and it just went it just kind of took off the kids got real excited to be a part of that project and um i can't believe it 15 years later the true christmas story has over forty-three thousand views on youtube neat um 
you know, who would have thought it? It's really neat to go back and listen to their voices back then and um, mm-hmm. those kind of things. But it's also really neat that the true Christmas story is out there and being viewed still on YouTube today. So um, pretty exciting how you can build content that way. Mm-hmm. And um, what again struck me is the tooling that is available that is super accessible. People uh, can pick this stuff up, and and certainly the kids of today are, are very comfortable with with this. But I think the the teacher, whoever's you know building the lesson, needs to be comfortable as well. But some of these tools are super easy to use. Mm-hmm. Should we go to chapter four? Yeah, chapter four is titled All the World's a Game and We Are All Players. And I love this chapter, believe I it or not. I figured this would be your favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, our family's really into gaming and escape rooms and all those kind of things. So it was really fun to consider that those kind of um, things can be incorporated into the classroom. Um, it starts with a story that kind of hit home with me. There was a lady named James Jane McGonagall who uh, is part of the Institute of the Future. And she actually suffered a pretty serious concussion and had a really hard time recovering from it. And even to the point of suicidal thoughts, she was very depressed and really struggling. And she decided to kind of gamify her recovery and uh, built a game. I think she called it Jane, the concussion slayer or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And, Um, It turned into a product now. I think they call it superbetter.com, which I looked up. It's it's a pay-for product and stuff. But the concept is that um, we respond to gaming. We... We, uh, it kind of brings us out of depression It boosts our energy and motivates us. It can reduce anxiety and instill grit and persistence. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's places for those things. I understand you don't want to overdo that kind of thing, but I think um, she's a great example. And and the other ideas that he has in this chapter are great examples of doing that. And of course, games don't all have to be technical. You don't have to sit down and be a computer programmer or designer, although there are plenty of tools out there that'll help you do that. You can build your own board game. Um, The concept is getting the students thinking about themes and characters and um, kind of a storyline to a game and and designing all of those things. What are the rules going to be? All that kind of concept. Yep. And McGonagall was quoted as saying, the opposite of play isn't work. The opposite of play is depression. Certainly was, I guess, in her case. Um, so th- that's interesting. She did. There were cautions in this chapter about over gamification. Mm-hmm. You can't gamify everything. Uh, that will become old as well. So it's a, like anything, don't overuse it. But uh, the, the possibilities really are, are endless here. And it's uh, important to kind of consider um, that built-in um, desire to not necessarily compete uh, against others, but compete against yourself. Uh, try to get better, get a better score, get better at something. Um, and I think uh, that's that's pretty undeniable. I know my wife in the classroom says, "If you want to, if you want the kids' attention, make it into a game." And <laughs> um, it's uh, I think there's a lot of value in 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 doing that correctly. So interesting interesting approach. One other thing he said is, you know, talking about building your own games and that's not always easy. Uh, but it says, don't worry if you're, if it's not perfect when you start, 
your students can help you improve it as you play. And mm -hmm. so it becomes kind of a, a communal thing. And uh, I think kids are really good at trying to figure out new rules and new ways of doing it and beating the game and variations. I know when I look at my grandkids, they're all about that kind of stuff. So uh, they love the making up uh, different ways to play the same game. You know, I was reminded of a robot camp we ran one summer. My husband and I did that for a few years. And it was all about building the robot and learning about all the electronics that are involved and then programming the robot and making it do different obstacle course things and stuff like that. But the kids decided, you know, at the end of the day that they wanted to put their robots in a um, kind of a pit to compete against each other or uh -huh. see who could last the longest or whatever. And that turned into the most exciting thing that we did all week was them. Um, and they, they innovated the next day, they brought little men to stand on their robots so they could see if you could knock it off or not and stuff. Uh -huh. And we had spent all this time, you know, invested in this program and had never thought of that, but the kids came up with their own game based on it. So yeah. they do have a lot of ideas and they iterate and innovate all the time and steal ideas from other games and things to kind of bring into it. So there's inspiration all around. Yeah. I guess some of the knocks on some of this as well, is that really learning, you know, what, what, what content is being delivered, those kinds of things. And I think there's there's, you know, there's some value in asking that question, of course, but I think another part of it is getting the kids in a place where they are happy to be there, looking forward to doing something is, is the first step in learning and then going from there. And I think that's what, uh, what was one of the points made in the chapter too. So the games kind of fall into different categories, games to like drill a concept. So you're learning the state capitals or whatever it may be. Um, you can use something like Kahoot. I bet everyone's had a little bit of exposure to Kahoot by now. Um, mm. They did caution, don't overuse Kahoot. You can get burnout there. But kids respond really well to the concept of having a device that they can answer a question up on the screen at all you know, comes back and shows who the winners are and things like that. So um, lots of fun there. Also just interacting with data. So if you are studying populations or whatever it may be, you could grab some data sources around that and build something kind of like a family feud. How many uh, people are rural versus urban or whatever and, and uh, you know, have the kids learning facts as they're playing this data-based game. And then finally, improving problem solving. And this is where I got super excited. It's kind of the grand finale. But he mentions doing things like breakout EDU. So um, we've talked about this in the past. It's been a while since breakout started. It kind of reminded me we did this several years ago. But um, again, my husband and I have put together different breakouts. And the concept is you have some kind of a locked box. So I brought my little hasp along. You, you put this through a box and you put a bunch of different locks on that box that the students have to solve puzzles and things um, to be able to unlock the locks. And there's directional locks, there's word-based locks, there's numbers and all kinds of different uh, configurations. And as you buy these locks, you learn how to reset them for the next game and keep up very closely with what you have the locks set to <laughs> and stuff. And then there, 
kind of doing that escape room concept by solving puzzles, they're removing a lock. And when they finally get all the locks undone, there's something exciting for them in the box. And um, it's a great way. We actually used it in robot camp as one example to kind of drill things that we had learned throughout the week. They had to remember and solve puzzles around the electronics and the programming and things like that. And then as they did, they unlocked locks. And in the end, there was like a treat in the box for them um, when they finally got it all the way unlocked. We did that actually when the parents were there kind of as a review for the week. And it it went over really well. It was a lot of fun. I have another example because uh, I actually took one of Matt's um, kind of summer professional development classes that he puts together. I think these are like $20 to take these classes, but he um, has one on doing digital escape games. And so I'll just show an example. I actually created one of these um, for the education conference last summer. And so people could get to this, you know, find all the clues, click the green button and believe it or not, um, it comes up with a Google um, site and this page right here has a lot of things to click on this part of the page. And this is actually a Google slide that's embedded here. And I put different things behind each of these things that you could click on where they could do puzzles and figure things out and go back and put in an answer um, in the form that's part of the page. So um, same kind of concept, they're unlocking information, um, but they're doing it kind of in a review format using this um, method. And if you take his class, he gives you templates to do exactly what I'm showing here. So there's a lot of fun things that you can do um, to drill concepts, basically. Neat. He did have kind of an aside talking about how tech can also enhance the experience through things like using music or leaderboards, uh, giveaways, those kinds of things. I thought that was an important thing to remember. So it's not just the tool, but it's what the things that you add around the experience to, to uh, kind of build it up and uh, kind of give it a theme or whatever. And then he also had a little section on uh, thinking about games, not just as kind of single points in time, uh, like one day or one period or whatever, but year-long games. He had uh, kind of, a, in fact, I think he has a page on his on his site talking about uh, game themes and those things that can last over the, the course of an entire school year. So if you have a classroom theme or something, maybe uh, teachers are thinking about that right now as they're entering into, you know, summertime and new school year thinking, you know, what's your, what's your classroom theme and what kind of kind of year-long games could be a part of that, um, quests and so forth. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I agree. And um, I definitely a link to this page where um, someone who's done it as a year-long game has a lot of different resources and ideas for you to use. Um, I think the kids would be super engaged. And um, one thing that they point out is to try it with teams mm -hmm. and give teams names and, you know, so that they have a challenge built into it and stuff that the other team's getting ahead of them. They better get in there and do some more work or whatever. So yep. sounds like yep. fun. Good stuff. Yeah. I enjoyed these two chapters. I'm looking forward to, to the rest of the book as well. So uh, again, that is tech like a pirate, super short read, lots of links. Um, great resources 
And um, we'll put a link to that if you want to follow along or grab a copy um, in the show notes. Excellent. Sally, should we move on to our picks of the week? Yeah, definitely, Martin. Um, I I landed on a pick this week that has to do with the website Unsplash. So unsplash.com is just one of many um, really high quality sites that are uh, offering royalty-free images for use in different ways. Maybe you need images um, for a slideshow you're putting together or a game you're building or whatever it may be. And uh, you can come here and search on just about anything and find uh, images. It was interesting. I just realized this morning that now they have a paid level as well. So some of the images that come up are for Unsplash Plus. And I want to say it was around $7 a month to get access to even more images. But I've only used the free version and highly recommend Unsplash as well as many others that are out there, Pixabay and um, many others that, that come to mind. Um, but what my pick is specifically is I was on my phone. My phone's kind of become really important to me lately. And um, I was desiring some some uh imagery that I could use um, to post and make it royalty free, obviously didn't want to steal images or whatever. And I found that there is an iOS app for Unsplash. I want to say um, it's available for Mac and in the Chrome Web Store, Apple TV, all over the place. Um, and so you can easily search and find images and wallpapers and things um, while you're on your mobile device. And so um, we'll include a link in the show notes to unsplash.com slash apps if you're interested in getting the mobile app. Um, I said I, my phone has become really important to me because I'm going through a period of my life where I'm having a lot of medical challenges and I'm always uh, going to appointments and on the road trying to do different things. And I just can't lug my computer along to all those places. But my phone um, is kind of my lifeline. And then having the ability to do some of the things I would really turn to my computer for normally um, just makes it that much more valuable. And so for me, this was a real plus to add um, the unsplash.com um, mobile app. I could see using it for things like Facebook post or Instagram post or whatever, where you're just trying to get some stock imagery, um, it becoming really helpful to you. So wanted to share that as a pick of the week. Very nice. Yeah. Unsplash is one of those tools you kind of see and you don't always even know it is. Uh, what you're seeing, because they kind of build it into other applications that have grab a picture kinds of things. So uh, I know when I use Miro and want to add a picture to something, Unsplash is one of the options. Uh, I think uh -huh. there are other tools um, where I think maybe even in Trello, those kinds of applications that have a different purpose, but need a, a grab a picture kind of functionality, they use Unsplash. Uh, so they've, they're everywhere. So And, and good quality stuff too. So Definitely. Good, good pick. All right. My pick of the week is actually a line of watches. We've talked about Apple Watch before. And Sally, I think that was even one of your picks not too long ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so that kind of reminded me of something that I wear on my wrist every day that isn't an Apple Watch, but I've been doing it for probably two years now. And that's Garmin uh, smart watches. Garmin has a whole series of watches for different kinds of purposes. 
they focus mostly on fitness. So they kind of make different watches around different kinds of people looking for uh, different uh, activities. So they have a uh, a, a golf watch, for instance, they have a runner's watch. They have kind of a multi-sport performance watch, uh, which is the one I have called Fenix, F-E-N-I-X. A um, couple of things I like about, these are not inexpensive, although they kind of have the lower lines. But I think when you're talking about smart watches, you kind of expect that there's, there's a price tag that goes along with them. Um, I like the Garmin watches for a couple of reasons. One, they are super... Um, reliable. Uh, it's very difficult to, to break these. They're made to last. Uh, battery life, at least in the ones that I have, uh, I have the Fenix 6, which is kind of a version behind now, uh, is gets 14 days on a charge. Nice. Uh, very different, very different than yeah. my Apple Watch, which is one day if I'm lucky. Yes. Um, and uh, so I'm going on vacation here in, in not too long, and I'll be gone for for two and a half weeks. And uh, while it won't get me the whole way, uh, I will be able to get pretty good way through vacation while having to to recharge my watch. If I had my Apple Watch along, I'd be looking for a charger every night, which isn't always convenient when you're camping or whatever. Um, some of these have solar built in, so you may not even need to charge them. Mm. Um, they don't have as classy and nice and bright a screen as an Apple watch per se. Uh, but when it comes right down to it, it gives me the data that I need. You can hook up Bluetooth. You can put music on these. They have apps. Uh, they measure heart rate. They um, measure temperature. You know, they have all the smart watchy kinds of, of features and functions. The golf watches, you know, measure distance to the hole and let you keep score and those kinds of things. Hmm. So um, I think, uh, they've gained a lot of traction here recently. Um, and again, uh, just kind of a good quality watch with interchangeable bands. So you you can style them up if, if, if you want. Um, but again, just good, reliable, durable uh, products that, uh, that I really enjoyed. So just wanted to pass that along as a pick. So if you're in the market for a smartwatch and maybe you don't have an iPhone, and so an Apple Watch wouldn't necessarily be a good fit because uh, you actually have to have an eye something to have an Apple Watch. Um, Garmin might be something to take a look at. Garmin has long been known for GPS devices, right, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but they've uh, they've definitely expanded and they've been in the smart watch uh, play uh, space for for quite some time. So. My little plug for for Garmin again, not necessarily cheap, although I think there is a range, um, but uh, gets high marks for me at least. Well, um, if you were listening to the show, maybe the last show when I picked my Apple Watch, which is brand new to me, um, I told you what the golden standard was, and I'm not seeing it here, but you need to have Minnie Mouse. Oh boy. Yeah. read you the time and say good morning <laughs> to you. And I don't see that on this Garmin watch. I don't, I don't think, know. I don't think Minnie's there. Um, she's <laughs> an exclusive on Apple watch. Don't be too sad, but that's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to community news and feedback. Sure. Um, first up is my friend, Michael Vlieger, who is 
interim principal this year at Risen Savior Lutheran School in Mankato, Minnesota, um, and a member of my congregation. Um, great guy. Michael is always on the lookout for good tech resources because he serves as technology coordinator at Risen Savior as well. And he came across a free conference for teachers, administrators, technology staff, anyone interested in using educational technology to support teaching. Um, and it is happening. Oh, what is today? The 22nd. It's happening in July. Sorry, I thought it had already passed. <laughs> July 18th. I knew I put it on here and checked the date. So um, it is called Spark EdTech Conference. Um, I'll do a quick screen share. Um, and I looked up what Spark was, and it basically is um, in the Stark Portage area. Uh, computer Consortium in North Canton, Ohio. So um, not a location I'm familiar with specifically, but a free conference that you can take advantage of. And the sessions will be streamed live. And so um, looks like something worth checking out if you're in that tech ed tech space. And they do provide certificates of attendance for professional development. Um, if you watch the sessions live or recorded after the fact. So um, check that out and let us know what you learned from the Spark Education Technology Conference. Very nice. Thanks for sharing yeah. that, Michael. July 18, 2023. All right. Uh, I had an interaction with a friend of the show, Rob, Pastor Rob Gunther, who also serves on the Synod's Technology Advisory Committee. So I was interacting with a few of those guys recently and uh he shot me up a shot back to me a follow-up email uh rob is pastor at st john's in new Ulm, minnesota so keeping with the uh that uh southeast uh minnesota theme uh he was just catching me up on a few things that they are doing and he said but i he has hired a few mlc students with some grant money to run a vr camp at st john's um, they have five oculus quest twos and we'll be demonstrating how VR can be used in education. Virtual dissection for Science Day, virtual Quidditch for FIA Day, virtual clay sculpting, and hopefully 3D printing for Art Day. I forgot what it was for Music Day, but they've got something for that. Each day will begin with a devotion and an on-site trip to the Holy Land site where that devotion took place via Wander. It's planned for October. I'll let you know how it goes. Kind of neat. I thought it fit in with uh, what we we're talking about with uh, tech like a pirate. Just uh, and Rob's been on the the VR bandwagon for quite some time. We've talked to him on the show about that. Even mm -hmm. uh, very interesting. I, I like the concept here, and and also engaging MLC MLC students to to help run this as well. So very very cool stuff, Rob. Yeah, we'll definitely be interested to hear how it goes and what you learn along the way. Yep. Um, and then, Martin, late breaking, I added one more uh, community feedback question to this section of the show. It's from a friend of mine, Paula Winchettel, who was recently elected president of the Minnesota Valley Circuit of LWMS. And one thing that LWMS does, besides um, a wonderful international conference that actually begins this evening in La Crosse, Wisconsin, um, but one thing they do traditionally is keep archives or have a historian position um, within 
the circuits and at the international level to keep up with all the different uh, speakers and themes and uh, attendance and all that kind of stuff to the different rallies and, and conventions that they have. And Paula was looking for a way to go digital with some of that historian content. In the past, it's always been like these um, physical scrapbooks with photos in it. And um, we have a lot of those, but it comes a lot to lug around and keep uh, fresh. And, you know, you just wonder how many people are actually going to sit and go through a physical um, photo album or whatever. And so she was wondering about, you know, software that would allow you to, you know, add digital artifacts of that nature and keep things safe and uh, consistent. And in my mind, you know, I kind of thought of Google, <laughs> Google tools as being a good place to mm -hmm. do that because you can add all kinds of different content and things like that. Um, but I wondered if anyone in our audience has a solution that is doing some historian type work and maybe has a recommendation for Paula um, other than something like the Google tool set. So yeah. if you do, please do give us a shout out. Um, I'll just put a plug in for our Wells Tech website, which you can get to at wellstech.wells.net. Um, and there you're going to find all kinds of ways to reach us up here in the um upper right corner, there's all the different uh, social medias we're on. And if you leave a comment on Instagram or Facebook or um, Pinterest or Twitter, wherever it might be, we'd be happy to respond to you that way. You can also send us a good old fashioned email, wellstech at wells.net, or there's a, a blue tab on the right sidebar where you can leave us a voicemail and we'd love to include your voice uh, in the Wells Tech conversation. So check out the site and give us your feedback. Excellent. That's going to about do it this week, Sally. Uh, looking forward to next month when we get together again. We'll be going through chapters five and six from 4,000 miles to four inches, collaboration, real time, cross miles, et cetera. And then brain-friendly, Instagram-worthy learning. So <laughs> more goodness from tech like a pirate in the month of July. Sally, hope you have a great day. Thanks for all you do for the Synod and for Wells Tech. And uh, thank to, thanks to all you listeners out there who make this show possible. We do it for you. And if there are things that you'd like us to talk about in the future, you know how to get a hold of us. Thanks, everybody. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye.